Well, good morning, everybody. It's so good to see all of you here. I want to welcome our online campus. We have people joining us um, from around the country, but also around the world. Um, people in Colorado, Nevada, Denmark. Um, we're so glad that you're with us this morning. Well, I want to begin today, first of all, by just encouraging you. We have 21 days. Look up. That's our theme. We've been doing this for several weeks. We've got one more week. We've been in a time of fasting and prayer. Let me ask you a question. How many of you have been trying to make an effort to be involved in fasting and prayer over the last 21 days? Let me see your hand. Isn't that awesome? You can sense as people draw close to God, He responds. And our worship, our times together, there's just an increase of God's presence, His anointing. You can sense it. You can feel it. It almost makes you want to fast all year long, kind of. Um, and uh, I'm actually... To be honest, very excited because I started a week early on the fasting because our board of directors are all coming in this week. So I'm done today. Hallelujah. Gonna have anyway. Okay. Um, but I want to tell you, Friday from six o'clock until Saturday at six o'clock, we have a 24-hour prayer event. If you didn't sign up, you are welcome to come. In fact, if you did sign up, you don't have to come in just one hour. You can come on Friday, come back on Saturday. I promise you, listen to me. Please hear me. I promise you that this time of prayer will be something that you will not forget. It'll be so meaningful. It may feel like, well, I'm just going to go pray at the church, but it is amazing. You go to different stations. You can pray as a family. It is, it is phenomenal. And so I want to encourage you to come. It's going to go for 24 hours. If you want to come in the middle of the night, you can do that. Starts at 6 o'clock on Friday and goes through Saturday. It's going to be in the MPR. It's going to be an incredible time. Do not miss it. You can continue following along with the prayer theme on your phone through the Uversion app. Go to live events. Or you can get the booklet. It's back at the, the information center. We want to pray and continue to connect with him. Amen. I, I sent out a tweet in a, a message on Facebook. And I copied something I'd seen another person say. And it was simply this. If you want to break a sin habit... You need to develop a prayer habit. Come on, amen? And so that's what we're doing. We're developing a discipline of prayer in our lives. And we're believing, just like Daniel, that there's going to come a moment. For him, it was 21 days, but there's going to become a moment of breakthrough and that you're going to see the answer. You're going to see God speak to your heart. So I want you to grab your Bibles and turn with me to Colossians 3.2. And as you're going there, I want to break it up a little bit and tell a joke this morning. Is that Okay. Now, I promised that I would tell this joke a few weeks ago and didn't get a chance to do it. And I know that we have a lot of people that come from a Catholic background. And so if you come from a Catholic background, you may appreciate this joke a little bit more. So here we go. Now, let me just say, remember, you're fasting and praying, so be nice um, with my joke. Um, you can laugh even if it's half-heartedly. Even a half-hearted laugh will feel good. Okay, so here's what happened. The Pope, he flies into L.A., and when he lands in L.A., he's, he's coming to um, get the car. There's a limousine waiting for him. And when he gets there, he kind of has this impulse. And he goes up to the limo driver and he says, hey, you know, I never get to drive. Can I drive? And the limo driver's like, I don't know if I can do that. But okay, how do you say no to the Pope? Right? So he's like, okay, here's the keys. And he jumps in the back and the Pope gets behind the wheel and takes off. And well, who knew it? He's a speed demon. All right. He's driving 100 miles an hour down the 405 freeway, going in and out of traffic. And well, as he drives down the freeway, there's a cop that's there, and it's his first day on the job. He sees this limo going really fast, so he hits the lights, woo, 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 and he pulls over 
the limo. He walks up to the window and he sees the Pope is sitting there. The Pope rolls down the window and says, yes. And he said, hold on, I'll be right back. And he runs back to his car and he grabs the little radio and he calls and he says, I need to talk to the captain right away. And the captain gets on. He's like, captain, I just pulled someone over. They're speeding, but they're a really, really important person. He's like, well, how important? Like maybe the mayor of LA important? He's like, more important than that. He's like, maybe, is it like a governor of California important? He's like, more important than that. He's like, is it like the president of the United States important? He goes, more important than that. And he's like, who's more important than the president of the United States? He goes, I don't know, but he's got the Pope as his limo driver. You know what cracks me up is when I tell these jokes, a lot of you laugh and a lot of you sit there and go. I think I enjoy that part of it more than telling the joke. (laughs) To see the disdain on your faces. It gives you an opportunity to extend grace. That's what we're doing. I want to invite you to stand to your feet. Those of you joining us online, I want to welcome you to do the same right there in your home because we're going to honor the reading of God's word. Our theme has been, look up. And I want to read that theme verse. Next week, we're going to focus on this verse a little bit more, but let's all read together. Will you join me? Here we go. Don't shuffle along. Do we have it? Okay, let's try it again. Maybe it came up late. Here we go. Ready? Let's try it again. Don't shuffle along, eyes to the ground, absorbed with the things right in front of you. Look up and be alert to what is going on around Christ. That's where the action is. See things from his perspective. You see, what we've been learning is that God wants to shift our vision. And instead of living life where we're looking down and focusing on the things around us rather than living down. God wants us to live up, to look up, and to see things from a heavenly perspective, not just live from an earthly perspective. So today I want you to close your eyes. I want to pray a prayer. Holy Spirit, we know that you are right here, right now. When we gather together and agree, you're right there in the midst of your people. So speak mightily in this room today. Speak through me. I ask you to help me to get out of the way and help your voice to be heard so strong and so real that people would leave. God, I thank you for the testimony that I hear week after week from person after person. They said, I don't know what it is, Pastor, but it's like you read my email that week. You were talking directly to me. God, speak directly to the hearts of people in this room and in homes around the world. In the name of Jesus. Now just say this with me. Say, Holy Spirit. I make room for you. I invite you into my life. Have your way. Speak to me. Now just in whatever way and however you can do this, just yield to him for a moment. Just yield to his presence. Holy Spirit, you are here. We honor you. We give you all the glory. We give you all the praise. In the name of Jesus. If you love Jesus, we say amen. Amen. You may be seated. 
we've been speaking for the last several weeks, and we've learned several principles. In week one, here's what we learned. As we've looked at the book of Joshua, we learned that Joshua is a strategic book for us at this season. It took place in the Jewish New Year. It was the kind of the season of stepping out of the wilderness into the promised land. It was about new things that God wanted to do. This entire book is about grabbing a hold of the promises of God. And we're in a season as we leave 2014, moving into 2015, that we're in a season of transition. And I believe God wants us to step out of the things of the past, the brokenness of the past. God spoke to Joshua and he says, Moses, my servant is dead, arise and lead. And we learned in week one, stand up and lead. God is calling you and I to arise and be leaders, to lead our homes, to lead our business, to lead in the church, to lead in the community. God has called us to stand up and lead. And we learned also that we need to step out, that it's in the stepping we start possessing because the miracles flow out of our actions of faith. So stand up and lead, step out. And then we also learned last week that God wants us to gather up and that part of being a leader, part of moving into our promises that we realize we can't do it alone. I made the statement, you'll never do all God wants you to do if you try to do it alone. There's power in gathering together and there's power in agreement. We learn that God wants us to gather together so that we can be a part of helping someone else in their journey. And we learned last week that together we're better, that we release the grace and favor of God. And so today I want to give you another theme and another idea. I'm going to give you the big point like I did the last few weeks, and I'm going to give you some subpoints. If you're all with me and you're ready, say amen. amen. So the big idea today is, you ready? Write this down. It's this idea. God doesn't just want us to stand up, step out, and gather up. He wants us to clean up. Everybody say clean up clean up. Reminds me, as soon as I wrote that down on my notes when I was preparing my message, I flashed back to when my kids were little, and every morning I heard this song. Clean up, clean up, everybody everywhere. Clean up, clean up, everybody do their share. You know what's funny? Some of you are looking at me crazy, but there's like, I can see moms all over this room going, <laughs> they're, they're singing with me. Come on, how many moms know this song? Barney. Sang it every single day. In that season of my life, I would have nightmares of big purple monsters. I got so sick of Barney. Although Barney has nice teeth. I just want to throw that out. Have you ever noticed that? He had braces. They were whitened. They were perfect. If you look at him, Barney probably was a dentist before he was a children's person. Will you go with me in the Bible and say, what does that have to do with cleanup? Well, let's read Joshua chapter 5. Joshua led the people across the Jordan. And once they got across the Jordan, something took place. He was instructed by God. Look at Joshua 5 verse 2. At that time, the Lord told Joshua, make flint knives and circumcise this second generation of Israelites. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the entire male population of Israel at Gibeath Haraloth. And I don't even think I pronounced that right, but it doesn't matter. Joshua had to circumcise them because all the men who were old enough to fight in battle when they left Egypt had died in the wilderness. Those who left Egypt had all been circumcised, but none of those born after the exodus during the years in the wilderness 
had been circumcised. Now, as we read this passage and as we read this chapter, we're going to discover that God wants us, before we can step into our promised land, that we have to go through a process. We have to first awaken to the fact that we're called to lead and conquer. We have to step out in faith. We have to gather together. Remember the 12 stones, and there's something to be said for that story. But then the next part of the process before we step in to accessing or conquering what God has for us is now we have to clean up. There has to be a circumcision. Now, I want to give you the three points because as we talk about this circumcision process and we talk about cleaning up, it involves three things from this story. Here's the first point. Write this down. The first thing, you're watching online, will you write it down? Cleaning up involves purity. Cleaning up involves purity. After the purification process took place and everybody that was there that was a male were circumcised, here's what it says in verse 9. Joshua 5, 9 says, Then the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the shame of your slavery in Egypt. So that place has been called Gilgal from this day. The word Gilgal means to roll away. That's the Hebrew word, the meaning of Gilgal. So God said this, he said, today, as you're about to go to Jericho and conquer the land, as you've left the past and you're stepping into the new, and you've gone through this process of standing up, stepping out, and gathering up, and now cleaning up this purification process, now I have rolled away the shame. I have rolled away the past. If you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, here's what the scripture says. All things are passed away and all things are become new. There is a purification process that we have to go through if we're going to clean up and step into and access all that God has for us. Y'all with me? Say amen. Now, let me just say, we're going to talk about circumcision today, and our junior high students have left, which I'm a little glad that they have, because circumcision can be something that people, especially that are young and immature, giggle about. What is circumcision? It happens to a male when they're born, and basically, without getting graphic, it, there is a cutting away of the foreskin, and the purpose of this cutting away is for medical reasons, that it's better hygiene, and it protects the male from the potential of infection or disease. So there has to be a purification of some things that aren't necessarily important or necessary and needed so that you can be purified or cleaned and protected from things that could potentially contaminate you in the future. You all with me? So there has to be something cut off, cut away. Let me tell you, that's a beautiful picture of the idea of sin because sin needs to be cut away because if it isn't cut away from our lives, it has the potential to bring harm and contaminate us in our lives and our future. In fact, did you know that when you and I accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we are spiritually circumcised. Let me show you a verse. Go with me to Colossians. This is the New Testament. Colossians chapter 2, verse 11. Here's what Paul is telling the Christians of, of the city of Colossal. He says this. He says, when you came to Christ, you were what? You were circumcised, but not by a physical procedure, 
Christ performed a spiritual circumcision. The cutting away of your sinful nature. Romans chapter 8 tells us this. It says that God gives us a circumcision of the heart. So here's what happens. When you and I become a Christian, let me say it this way. Circumcision, the procedure in the natural, is an immediate cutting away. It's immediate and it's conclusive and it's done. There's nothing left. It's gone. In the spirit, the same thing happens. When you and I accept Jesus, every part of sin and the nature of sin, God is able in the spiritual realm, and here's why, because you are made up of not just body, physical, but you're made up of the soul, which is your mind, your will, and your emotions, and you're made up of the spirit, a spirit person. So you have a spirit being. So when you receive Jesus Christ, he circumcises you in the spiritual realm. In your spirit, man, he cuts away all the sin and the sin nature in your life, and here's why, so that it can't have the potential to destroy and harm you. But here's the thing, even though it's an immediate and conclusive process in the spiritual, in the physical, we still live in the physical, and we have a soul. So what we have to do is we have to allow God to take us through a process, even though in the spiritual realm it's been done, we have to then continue that process of purification so it gets from the spirit into our flesh and our soul. Let me show you a beautiful scripture. Philippians chapter 2, verse 13. Here's what the scripture says. You've heard this before. Continue to, what's the next two words? What is it? So continue to work out your salvation. In other words, you've been saved when you receive Christ. You've been circumcised. It's done. It's complete. Now get it from the inside to the outside. Get it into your mind, into your emotions, into your body, into your decisions. Let the complete work of God be worked out of the spirit into the flesh. Y'all with me? It says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. The Hebrew word for work there is the word to accomplish, to finish, or to complete. So what God's saying is this, God gives you a spiritual circumcision, he cuts out the sin, that's why if you die, how many know that we're still not perfect? It's possible that you'll walk out of this room, someone will cut you off in traffic, and you'll say things that you shouldn't say. Anybody ever have that happen? Now hopefully that's not an ongoing, all the time thing, but we still will sin, all right? So how is it that God can forgive us and, and take us to heaven because we have no sin. But yet we still sometimes sin. It's because the work's already been done. It's complete. Our spirit man has been changed, circumcised. The imputed righteousness of Christ has been put on our spirit. And then you and I now have the responsibility with the help and the power of the Holy Spirit to work out what God already did in our bodies, in our minds, in our lives as we live this life. You all with me? You see, the word work out means to finish or complete. So what God's saying is, let the work I started in you work its way out and complete itself in your soul and in your body. In other words, surrender this circumcision process to every part of your life. You see, this process of circumcision, we've, we, here's basically what it is. Go with me to 2 Thessalonians 2.13. Anybody learning anything? Say Amen. 
2 Thessalonians 2 verse 13 says, God from the beginning chose you for salvation. Somebody say amen to that. He chose you from the beginning for salvation. How? Through, what's the next word? Sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. Now, sanctification is a big word that we really a lot of times don't understand. But here's what sanctification basically means. Purification or to the purifier or to be set apart. So you see, what happens is circumcision or the spiritual circumcision is a purification process that God works out in your emotions, your will, your heart, your actions, your attitudes. You have been made whole, righteous in the sight of Christ, in your spirit, but that has to work into your life, into your body. And that is the process of sanctification. You know, I uh, mentioned a couple weeks ago about tiling and laid tile. And I asked the question, how many have laid tile? And only a few people raised their hands. And let me ask the question, how many have laid tile? Wow, more than I thought. How many don't want to ever do it again? Okay, now if it's your job, you need to do it again. And, but if you had the choice to not have to do it again, how many would not do it again? Why? Because it's, it's hard. It's hard on the knees. It's hard work. I've laid lots of tile. In our last campus, me and, some, me and one brother, we laid the tile in two bathrooms, huge bathrooms. Took us hours and hours of work. And I remember when we were laying the tile in the bathroom, I got to this one spot, and there was this one little piece of tile that had to be put in there, and it was a smaller piece. And so I would measure it out, and I would cut the tile, and I would go up and try to put it in, but it wouldn't fit into its position because it was either a little lopsided or it was a little too big or one corner was shaved down a little too small. And so I'd try to get it in there and it didn't fit or, or I'd try to shave it down. Like it, usually it was a little too big. So I'd come back and try to just shave off, cut off a little piece. And every time I'd try to cut off a little piece, it would, it would either chip or it would break. And I have to start from scratch and take a big piece of tile and cut it back down again. And there was this one part that just took, I don't even know how many times it took me, it was testing my sanctification. <laughs> the problem was, is when it got to that point of being that size, it fought the cutting away. And the point I want to make to you today is you'll never step into all God has for you if you fight God's process of circumcision. And we do it, don't we? We fight it. When God starts to try to shave something out of our life, we always have a reason, a justification why we need to keep that little piece. Listen, I just want to encourage you when that brother comes to you and confronts you about something in your life, don't just dismiss it and say, that guy's judgmental. Maybe you need to say, okay, Lord, what are you saying to me? You know what I love about Pastor Jack Hayford? Pastor Jack Hayford, his attitude is always, he said, Jared, whenever there's an issue, the first question I usually ask myself is, could I be wrong? He said, I always start with the, prep, the idea, supposition that I'm probably wrong. In fact, it's funny because I, I said this maybe last week, but Joe Jakes um, was praying in a group with me this last week, and he made the statement in the middle of the prayer, stopped, and he said, you know, guys, I don't think I've ever had God tell me you know, you're right. <laughs> Anybody say amen to that one? 
Thank you, Joe. That was a bit of insight for us all. In other words, what I want to encourage you with is cleaning up is about purity. It's about purifying your heart. And God wants to take you through a process where you begin to change the way you act and live. He wants to cut out the nature, the desire for sin so that you and I can surrender to God's process. And here's why. Because he wants you to take Jericho. He wants you to conquer the promised land. Let's go on. Cleaning, uh, cleaning up is about purity. All right? You all with me? You got that one? Write this one down. Here's the second one. Those of you online, just joined us from Washington or North Carolina. Here's the second point. Write this down. This circumcision or cleaning up process is not only about purity, but secondly, cleaning up involves timing. Cleaning up involves timing. If you read through this passage, here's what you discover. Before we even see God speak to Joshua about circumcision and circumcising all of these men who had grown up in the wilderness, I want to read the first verse of the chapter because it's very insightful. If you read Joshua chapter 5, verse 1, look what it says. It says, when all the Amorite kings west of the Jordan and all the Canaanite kings who lived along the Mediterranean coast heard how the Lord had dried up the Jordan so the people of Israel could cross, they lost heart and were paralyzed with fear because of them. Then if you go on to the very next verse, it says, and at that time, what time? The time that all the enemies of God were afraid and paralyzed with fear, it was at that moment that God said, now circumcise all of the, the men in Israel. That timing was intentional by God. Now I'll give you the reason why. If you are an adult male and you get circumcised, you are sore. And all the men say amen. Right? Some of you don't. I'm not going to say amen. I was... (laughs) Circumcision is painful. In fact, if you read the story, the children of Israel had to heal. They, in other words, they couldn't fight against an enemy when they're healing from the circumcision. So why did God do the miracle at the Jordan River? I believe the reason he did the miracle at the Jordan River were for many reasons. One was to prove to Israel that Joshua was their leader. The second reason was to give them faith so that they knew that God was with them and they could conquer the land. But the third reason was because he wanted all of the enemies of Israel to be scared to death so that when they got circumcised, they wouldn't rally and come and fight Israel and Israel be defeated because they were healing So God is a God of timing. He did it all on purpose. And I want to tell you that you and I sometimes have to go through seasons of circumcision because God is preparing us for the battles that are to come. But we can't fight the battle because we're still healing. Somebody say amen. Let me read to you. Look what it says in Joshua 5, if you read on. Joshua 5, verse 8. After all the males had been circumcised, they rested in the camp until they were healed. While the Israelites were camped at Gilgal on the plains of Jericho, they celebrated the Passover on the evening of the fourth day of the first month. 
Then the very next day they began to eat unleavened bread and roasted grain harvested from the land. No manna appeared on that day. They first ate from the crops of the land and it was never seen again. Manna was never seen again. The the bread that God provided every day. So from that time on, the Israelites ate from the crops of the land. Here's the point. When you read that whole little part of the story, what we, we pass over and miss is, that, is this, is that before the children of Israel, before these people could step in and conquer their promise, they had to first of all go through a season of purification and they also had to eat the Passover and eat the food. In other words, I believe symbolically what it's saying is that many times there are people that get saved and they have a calling or they have a passion in their life to do something for God. Or maybe they've been in church for years and then they feel God stirring their heart to do something, to make a difference. And so what they do is they grab their sword and they run at Jericho and start hitting the walls of Jericho and they get nowhere. And here's why. Because if you don't take time to go through a season of purification and you don't take time to eat the word the bread what is the bread Jesus said I am the bread of life if you're not trained in the word if you're not equipped with the understanding and the foundation you need you'll never conquer what is meant for you to conquer you'll never step into your promise because you never went through the process And as you read through the story, I mean, you can see it in the Bible. Look at Paul. Paul was saved. He had already been physically circumcised, but he needed to go through a season of spiritual circumcision. He received Christ, and he didn't jump into ministry. He went out into the wilderness for three years, and God began to equip him. He ate the manna. He took the Passover. He studied the bread of life. He learned the revelation. So he went through the season of purification spiritually, and he went through the season of equipping and training so that he could accomplish all. And there are people here, and here's what you're struggling with, people watching online. You're fighting, you keep hitting a wall, and you can't get to where you want to go. And the reason is, is because you haven't surrendered to the process of circumcision and preparation that God has for you. And you'll never step into all God has for you. I'll give you an example. My dad, um, as many of you know, are praying for him. He's now facing his fourth type of cancer that he's fighting. And he's doing pretty well, but his cancer is in his bones. And the, the left leg, I believe it is, is the, or the right leg is the leg that has cancer in it. There's some in his shoulder, some in his, in his ribs. And so that bone is kind of weak. And so um, oh, several, about a year or so ago, his just walking, it fractured. And so they put his, they, when he was, it was hurting, he went and got an x-ray, and they put it in a cast. And six weeks later, they took the cast off, and He continued on, but then within a short time, within a day or two, it was hurting again. He thought, well, maybe it's just a little sore, and he took, you know, went on for a few more days. He went back to the doctor, and what they discovered is that it was fractured. And now here's the problem. They put it back in a cast, and they got it fixed, but he walks funny. He'll tell you he walks funny. He's having to relearn how to walk again. His leg will never be the same again. It's got a little bit of deformity to it, and here's why. He didn't allow the process of healing and preparation finish and be completed. He didn't know it, and that's where a lot of people are. They don't know it. They take the cast off. They grab the sword. They're ready to run. They're ready to do all they want to do, but they rush the process, and if you rush the process, you're going to fight 
in the battle while you're still healing, while you're still being circumcised, and you'll never accomplish all. You'll never see the breakthrough and the blessing that God has for you until you clean up. Somebody say amen. That's good preaching, amen. You even got to talk about my dad. Hallelujah. So cleaning up involves purity. Cleaning up involves timing, God's timing. And here's the last point. The last point is this, and that is that cleaning up involves covenant. Cleaning up involves covenant. Now let me explain covenant to you. First of all, you may not know this, but many times when we, at least for me, when I read the Bible, I kind of had this supposition or this idea that most of the people in the times of Israel at that time culturally didn't get circumcised, and it was primarily the Israelites that did circumcision. But if you look back at history, circumcision was a common practice. In fact, they came out of Egypt, and Egypt was known for circumcision as well. So it wasn't like the Israelites had a corner on the market of circumcision. Lots of people got circumcised. Lots of cultures. That was a normal process for young children that were born. For the Jewish people, it was on the eighth day. So what was it then about circumcision that was important to God? Because it was important to God. In fact, it's interesting. If you read it, you'll see something unique. Go with me to Genesis 17. This is when God speaks to Abraham about covenant and about circumcision. He says, if this is my covenant, this is verse 4. We're going to look at verse 4, verse 6, and verse 10. This is my covenant with you. How many would like to have a covenant with God? This is my covenant with you. I will make you the father of a multitude of nations. Verse 6. I will make you extremely fruitful. Your descendants will become many nations and kings will be among them. What an awesome blessing and promise by God. Then verse 10. This is the covenant that you and your descendants must keep. So if we're going to come into this agreement, a covenant is a contract of agreement. So God says, I want a contract with you. And in this contract, I want to bless you. Here's the sign. Here's the proof that we're in contract. Verse 10. This is the covenant that you and your descendants must keep. Each male among you must be circumcised. So the difference with the Jewish people and what God was trying to bring through the, the Israelites, the Israelites were the ones that we understood and got to know who the real God was, introduced God to the world. And in that introduction, what came with it was covenant. You see, the difference between circumcision with this culture and every other culture was that circumcision was a sign, it was an agreement, it was a process that you did to surrender, to sign your name in blood, literally, to the contract. And God signed the contract with you. Now, let me just say, my, it reminds me of back in the day when we lived in Modesto, we moved into our first house there. And it was a nice house, but on the one side, it had this kind of big planter area, and it was filled with juniper bushes. And I don't like juniper bushes, because if you've ever, like, touched them or fallen in them, they're itchy, and you, you afterwards, you're scratching. Anybody know what I'm talking about, right? And so one day, my wife, Devette, she's like, Jared, you got to get rid of those juniper bushes. They're ugly. 
And so in my mind, I'm like, okay. And so I went out to do them. And I want to tell you, that was one of the hardest things I have ever done because they have like roots that are greasy. And they go all over everywhere. And you think you're getting one up and then suddenly you're, you start pulling and it's coming up. And it, uh, it just, it was so hard. It took forever. And I finally got them out. Got them out, put them in the trash, went away to work the next day. And to my amazement, when I came back, there were no more juniper bushes. Now that ugly place was filled with beautiful flowers. My wife had gone and gotten flowers and planted them all in the planter, and it was beautiful. And instead of an eyesore, it was something that drew your attention. Let me stop and tell you that that story, there's a little nugget inside of it, and it's simply this. Many times when you and I talk about or think about our relationship with God and we think about the process of circumcision where God wants to cut some things off, all we can think about is what we're getting rid of. And all we can think about is what we don't need and what we don't want and the process and how painful it is. And what we forget is that when God comes into covenant, what circumcision is about, it's not about just removing something. It's about bringing something back in its place that's even better. What God says is, I want covenant with you, and here's why. It's not just that I want to get rid of the things that are in your life, and it's not because I'm mean and I'm, I'm, I'm a horrible leader and a horrible God. It's because I'm protecting you from infection. I'm protecting you from things that could hurt you. But listen, I don't just want to take something out of your life that could hurt you. I want to bring something good in its place. I want to bring the flowers. I want to bring the promises. What did God say to Abraham? I want to bless you and multiply you. You know what's cool about God? When God makes a contract, here's what the Bible says. When he gives you his word, you see a covenant is a word, it's an agreement, it's a contract. When God gives you his word, here's what he says about his word. My word will not return void. In other words, he said, I will not let my word go unfulfilled. In fact, I will watch over my word to make sure. If you read that, he says, my word won't return void, but I will watch over to make sure that it's fulfilled. God, when he looks at your life and he looks at the promises, he looks at the promised land that he has for you, when you surrender to the process of cleaning up and letting him tool and retool and change and cut things off and cut things away, here's what he does. He just starts looking at the contract even closer. Because when he looks at the contracts, he starts looking for the benefits and the promises and the things that he has for you because he wants to bring the flowers into your journey. He wants to bring the promises into your journey, but you can't receive the promises if you don't join the covenant. And God said you can't join the covenant unless you clean up. Everybody say, oh me. Everybody say, Amen. What I hold in my hand is the communion elements. But you know what I hold in my hand? It's the cup that Jesus passed out. And here's what this represents. Covenant. You know what Jesus said when he took communion with his disciples? As he took the cup, he said, when you drink from this cup, it represents a new covenant that God is making with you. I'll read to you what it says in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 6. 
It says this, but now Jesus, our high priest, has been given a ministry that is far superior to the old priesthood, for he is the one who mediates for us a far better, what? Do they have it? A far better what? Thank you for helping me. A far better covenant with God based on what? Better promises. The key to better promises, the key to the fulfillment of God's flowers and promises in your life is you've got to commit to covenant. And you can't commit to covenant without circumcision. You know, the way covenant was done in the Old Testament, you may not know this. I want the worship team to come. What you may not know is that with covenant in the Old Testament, they would literally take a a calf or a bull. They would sacrifice the animal. Watch what they would do. They would cut it in half, and they would use the blood and draw a circle with the blood. Some of you, man, this is gory. They would draw a circle with the blood, and they would give half of the animal to one person, and they would give half of the animal to another person. And they would enter into the circle and stand in the blood and say, we are in a pact, in an agreement, in a covenant that we will not leave this circle because we're putting the two together. Isn't it interesting that of all things Jesus chose to use to say this represents a new covenant? Is that his blood was poured out a circle was made and a body was broken and what he's doing is he's inviting you into the circle he's inviting you into a covenant with him so that you can step into and conquer whatever it is that he has for your life but you can't do that without first cleaning up without surrendering to the circumcision process what's beautiful is water baptism which is going to happen in the, in the next few weeks here at Higher Vision. I want to encourage you, if you haven't done this, sign up. Because water bapris, baptism, did I say baptism? I started to say baptism. Water baptism is a symbol of circumcision. It's the washing away of the past. It's the cutting off of the sin. It's the new start. And then communion represents covenant. heard a story, and I'll end with this, and the story was about a man. It was back in the 19, early 1900s, and he really felt like he was supposed to go to America, but he didn't have a lot of money, and the only way to get there was to get on a boat, one of those big cruise liners, and take a trip across the ocean for several weeks. But the tickets were expensive, and so he decided, I'm going to go to America. And so he began to work extra hours, and he saved, and he saved, and he saved for week after week, month after month, until finally, after a long time, he saved enough money to get on that ship. And he went and he bought his ticket. But the problem was is he didn't have enough money to also pay for food and all that, so he bought a bunch of crackers and cheese. And he filled the suitcase with crackers and cheese. And he showed up at the boat with his ticket. And he got on and he brought his suitcase in. And all throughout the whole chip, trip, chip, throughout the whole trip, every time it was time to eat, he would 
go down to his room and he would sit down in his room and open up that suitcase and he would eat cheese and crackers. And it got to be the end of the trip and just a day or so left before they arrived in America. And he was down to his last set of crackers. And so he got up and he was sick of crackers and cheese. And he got up and walked upstairs. And as he was walking towards the, the one of the dining rooms, he saw the food and everybody eating. And he kind of stepped inside and someone looked at him and said, hey, why don't you come have a seat and eat something? He's like, oh no, I'm sorry. I I can't. I didn't have enough money to buy food. I just bought my ticket. And the person looked at him and said, well, don't you know that when you buy the ticket, the food comes with it? The meals are free. You see, the whole trip, he could have had the food and didn't have to live on the crackers. But the problem was is he hadn't received all of the benefit of the contract. And there's a lot of Christians who you've been living on crackers and cheese. And you've been missing out on walking into new territory and conquering promises. But the problem is, is you're never going to get there until you look at the contract and you surrender to the cleaning up purification process and to the timing of God. And when you do that, when you surrender, here's the cool thing. God doesn't just say, oh, by the way, you get a meal. He'll deliver it to your door. He'll send someone right to where you are and he'll bring the promise to you. Why? Because God is a God of covenant. He's a God of promise.